Brian Ministries International presents Todd Talks, featuring Todd Edwards. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Corey. Amen, amen, amen. Did anybody read ahead and read Isaiah 62 and have something they'd like to share about Isaiah 62. All right, we've got a quiet group today. That's okay. Because I definitely have plenty of energy to talk a lot. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll start off with this. We've been going at Isaiah for a while now. And notice, and I was just meditating on this this morning, how... We're, going, we're jumping all around to add to Isaiah, but we're not doing a whole lot in the Gospels. And yes, we're going to the epistles sometimes, but not a lot in the Gospels. Yet, Isaiah, every single study is loaded with Yeshua. Isn't that amazing? The revelation that Isaiah had was all about the Son of God, the Son of God, the Son of God. And yet we're really not spending a lot of time in the Gospels that the traditional Orthodox Church would say, oh, you need to go there to understand about Jesus, Yeshua. We're actually spending all of our time in Isaiah. The focus of our, our studies is in Isaiah. And he's writing about Yeshua everywhere, everywhere. It's amazing. So I was meditating on that and just... Uh, how the Word of God is the same story, the same revelation from Genesis to Revelation, no matter where you start. And Isaiah has just a tremendous uh, revelation of Yeshua beyond what a lot of people think. Sometimes, some of the scholars actually say Isaiah is the fifth gospel. And now we can understand why it's so much about him. It's so much about him. So I, I, was, I was thinking about that and wanted to share that with you all. Um, this chapter has some really big concepts in it. I mean, really big concepts. And I, I uh, was struggling with some of them because it's almost like t tackling Isaiah was really big. Now tackling this chapter, th th this might be the biggest chapter in terms of big picture concepts that we've uh, we've approached. And I said when we were building up Isaiah 49 to 59, it was a building, it was a series of building blocks to get to the glory. This is the high picture now of the glory. And then the other cha uh, chapters after till Isaiah 66 are some details. So let's get going. Isaiah 62 verse 1. For Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof goes forth as brightness. Catch this. King James says the one word, but I'm going to read it in Hebrew. And Yeshua as the lamp that burns. You guys got that? <laughs> right off the beginning. For Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest 
until righteousness thereof goes forth as brightness and Yeshua as a lamp that burns. That's what it says in the Hebrew. So there's a lot going on here. First of all, this whole chapter is still addressing Zion. So the communication is to Zion. So we have a couple big words, and I'm, I'm really glad that when Candace was reading her psalm, it's like, ah, oh, righteousness, salvation, righteousness, salvation. It's the same kind of language, same kind of language here. Uh, so for Zion's sake, he will not hold his peace. He has committed in his word by oath to take care of Zion. When Zion cried out, this is how we started from Isaiah 49, 14. What about me? As Zion was talking about the heavens and the earth, and the heavens and the earth were going through a, a, a process where God was bringing them into alignment, and Zion's crying out, what about me? God's committed an oath to Zion that I will not forget about you. I will not hold my peace until everything that I promised to you is fulfilled. Isn't that interesting how he's making a promise to Zion? Just like he makes a promise to us, he makes a promise to Zion. Now, of course, we are Zion, but as an entity, it's a little different. And the promise is to the entity of Zion, which is us collectively. So he, he, he first says that. And then he also says, and it seems like it's disconnected in a way, but now we know better. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Because we know in our studies that Zion was to be made manifest into Jerusalem. And the enemy has twisted and turned our thoughts about Jerusalem and about the geographic land of Canaan that was Israel and then Judea and is now called Israel again, that we're so confused about it that we miss out God's heart is that he will not rest until he fulfills the promises to Jerusalem as well. And we're going to see this in this chapter, what some of those things are. And my, my prayer, and this is what I went through going through this chapter, is that I have a different perspective on Jerusalem than I had before. And I hope you guys too. Because Satan is really mucked up our thought process on what we should, how we should hold Jerusalem in regard. So how do I know that uh, what he's talking about uh, in terms of Zion, if we jump ahead to verse 2, and the nations shall, shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name, which, is, which the, the mouth of Yahuwah shall name. So he's talking about Zion having righteousness and everybody seeing it, the whole world and all the kings of the heavens and the earth. Righteousness precedes judgment. So what's happening here is Yahuwah is saying, I am going to hold my promise, Zion, that you will birth righteousness in full so that you can judge. We've spent a lot of time with righteousness and judgment, righteousness and judgment. And that's part of it. Turn to Isaiah 45, verse 8, as an example. There's a lot of examples of this, but Isaiah 45, verse 8. 
there's always this tie, heaven and earth and Zion all together. For those of you at the advanced, that's part of what I was speaking about with the heavens and the earth. Isaiah 45, verse 8. Drop down, you heavens, from above. Let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation. And let righteousness spring up together. I, Yahuwah, have created it. So here's what's happening. The heavens that includes where Zion is, has righteousness within it. Again, think about a simple way to think about righteousness is doing that which is right. Right doing. The most simple way to think about righteousness, Sadi, do that which is right. Or obey God's commandments. So Zion in the heavens is obeying God's commandments. And what Isaiah is praying is, Zion, Pour down, you're doing what's right onto the earth. Righteousness like rain. So, Zion, pour down righteousness upon me. Wait a minute. My spirit is in Zion, according to Hebrews 12. So, my spirit in Zion manifests righteousness onto the earth, into my soul, into my body. Manifest that which is doing right, obeying God's commandments. So part of my prayer every day is I bless my spirit. I bless Eliane's spirit. I bless Kayla's spirit. I bless Andrew's spirit. Hearken and encourage them. Hearken diligently to the voice of Yah. That's a repeated phrase over and over again in Scripture. Obey his commandments and execute your assignments, which means heaven, Zion, our spirits, drop righteousness down. So there's righteousness coming down. The earth, open up. This should remind you of the parable of the sower, where it's the heart, is the ground. And the heart needs to have fertile ground to receive the word. So now we pray into the earth, earth, be fertile ground, open up to the righteousness coming down from heaven. This is a, this is a really big concept. This is part of our assignment to connect heaven and earth. And Isaiah is giving us some details on how to pray this. So earth like a heart, like a fertile ground, open up to receive righteousness, the word coming down from heaven, and then bring forth salvation. So salvation, salvation is the process of maturity. And we went through this whole study in First Peter that salvation, it's the salvation of our soul, which includes our heart component. So the earth has a heart component. The earth needs to receive the word and then bring forth salvation and go through the process to do what? Eventually, righteousness then springing up together. So righteousness as a seed coming down from heaven, pray that the earth starts to 
open up and receive it, bring forth the beginning process of salvation, go through the salvation process. The earth is going through salvation process, and then it brings forth the righteousness that came down from heaven. So now eventually you'll have heaven in righteousness, earth in righteousness, and then what happens, judgment brings forth. So the same concept with us, that we bring forth righteousness, then we can judge. That's why the spirit of Elijah has to be sent, to prepare his people to bring forth righteousness so that they can judge. We're in the midst of heaven and earth and Zion, bringing it all in alignment in righteousness so that it can be judged and we can bring forth judgment. This is really big, really, really big. That's how big you guys are. Big. I'm telling you big concepts in Isaiah 61, 62. So that's righteousness. Um, salvation. Yes, the word is Yeshua as the lamp. And just for those of you that are, maybe are, are new with us, um, Genesis 15, 7, 17. I, I, I still, I can't read this, this verse enough to myself. When when Abraham when Ab- Abram at the time was asked to offer a sacrifice and then he was put into a deep sleep, there's this concept of covenant and promise, and a covenant is between two parties, and then a promise is one directional. I promise to do something for you. You don't have to do anything to receive my promise. A covenant is, I do something, you do something. We agree. So what happened in Genesis fifteen seventeen is that it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp, a menorah, a candlestick, passed between the pieces. So there was a covenant between the Father and the Son, the smoking furnace that came down on Mount Sinai, the burning lamp, the candlestick, which is Yeshua between the Father and the Son, which then initiated a promise on behalf of the Father and the Son to Abraham. So then we receive a promise. That's why Paul talks about in Ephesians, covenant of promise. So Yeshua in in Isaiah 62 is talking, what what he's saying is that righteousness is going to be birthed through Zion and through its people so that they are ready to execute judgment and oh, this is good. Yeshua as the candlestick, as the menorah, as the burning light that was the same in the covenant of promise burst through us. It's not that Yeshua just appears. He appears through us. He appears through us. This is the latter reign. We are so in alignment with the the righteousness of heaven. We're so in alignment with the righteousness that is birthed from the earth. The reason that that's happening is because of our righteousness. 
in our obedience and manifesting the presence of God that Yeshua actually bursts through us. That's what's happening. I, I had this, I think I shared this with you guys. I had this vision where I was going before the throne and Yeshua came out to meet me. He, he stood up and he came out to meet me. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting that he's like rushing out to meet me. I give him a big hug. He goes inside of me. And then all of a sudden I'm transformed or I'm transplanted right before the throne of the Father. And immediately I heard Yeshua in me saying, you can only go before the Father because I am in you. That's kind of the concept. That's in the spirit. But now we're talking about the heavens and the earth that Yeshua as a burning light burst through us. That's verse one. That's how, how, how big this is. So he actually manifests this latter rain. Incredible. Um, first Peter chapter one. Now you can see why I'm real excited. I don't care what's happening around us. That's, that's the spoken word of God that's going to happen. First Peter chapter 1, verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith. Yeshua of your soul. The end of your salvation, meaning... The greatest place of maturity, that's the salvation walk. Remember, we're justified at the beginning once. That's why we ask for forgiveness one time. We're cleansed from all unrighteousness, and then we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling. So the completion, the maturity, the fullness of our salvation is Yeshua in our souls. Salvation, Yeshua. Yeshua then becomes one with us. And that's what Isaiah is saying. Of which Yeshua, salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now, didn't John in his, in, in right in the beginning, John chapter one say, and Yeshua filled with grace and truth. So Peter's using the same language. He's saying the prophets didn't understand this. That the Son of God would manifest in you, which is the hope of glory. It all ties together. Verse 11. If you, if you don't believe me yet, let's read one more verse. First Peter 1, 11. Searching. The prophets were searching for this. Of what manner of time the spirit of Messiah, which was in them, did signify. So the spirit of Messiah was birthing this in the prophets, and then they were inquiring. When it testified beforehand that the sufferings of Messiah and the glory should follow. So they had to look at the suffering first, and they were birthing this, and then they had to look at, oh, what's on the other side, what would follow. So here we go. The spirit of Elijah the first time brings forth 
the pathway to the suffering servant. The spirit of Elijah the second time brings forth a mature body in righteousness ready to judge that is filled, bursting forth with Yeshua as the burning lamp. This is why I'm so excited. We are living in this place right now. We're in the process of birthing forth righteousness into the heavens and the earth like never before. This is the time that the prophets were inquiring of. Verse 2. And the nations. Isaiah 62.2. And the nations shall see your righteousness in all the kings, your glory. No wonder the nations are going to be at our feet (laughs) because Yeshua is bursting forth. There has never been a time filled in the earth filled with righteousness. Shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of Yahweh shall name. Oh, we got to talk about the new name a little bit. Uh, Revelation chapter two. Revelation chapter two. New name. New name is cool, cool, cool. Revelation two, 17. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the assemblies. To him that overcomes, Pope said this, overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. There's manna that a lot of people don't eat of, and then there's hidden manna. You got to pursue after this. And I will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knows except him that receives it. A new name. Now, white stone. Perfect light is sometimes called white light. And white light or perfect light includes all of the spectrum of light, all the colors. So all the colors collectively come together. So what part of what's happening here in Revelation 2.17 is you actually get a new stone. So we have living stones, of course. We just went through that series. Now you get a new stone. When you get to the place, that you are manifesting his righteousness and he is bursting forth out of you, you actually reach another level that even now you don't even have a stone for. And it includes a new name that's never been given. I was meditating on this new name thing. I said, oh, so God, what, what, what's, what's my new name? He said, you can't even find it in scripture. It doesn't exist. It's a new name. It's something that you haven't even got to in a place that I have to give you a new stone to reflect that character and that nature. And that comes with a new name. Because remember, names reflect character. It's a declaration. So when Yahshua was named, Yahuwah saves, there is a character associated with it, salvation. Just like we name the names of God, there's aspects of his character that are in the name. 
This is such a new nature that he is going to give to you that's never been produced in your life before that you actually deserve a new name for it. <laughs> Revelation 3. This is where we're going, folks. This, ah, Revelation 3, verse 12. He that overcomes again. Will I make a pillar in the temple of my Elohim? And he shall no more go out, and I will write upon him the name of my Elohim and the name of the city of my Elohim, which is New Jerusalem, which comes down out of the heaven from my Elohim, and I will write my new name. So now there's a few other names that are taking place. You realize that we will be so tied with Yah that he will put his name on us. We are so tied with Zion that Zion's name gets on us. And then we're so tied with this unique character that's being birthed forth in righteousness that we get our new name as well. That's how close we are as individuals, heavenly beings, to Zion. And that's how close we are to Yah, of course. That's how much you are connected to Zion. Again, it kind of makes me think a little bit about partnering with God. So when Adam and Eve were placed in the garden and Adam was told, hey, name the, name the animals, he was giving them character traits by name. And we're sharing in that creative power with him. Deuteronomy chapter 8. I feel like we need to hit, hit, hit on the word and the power of the word a little bit. Of course, Yeshua uh, quoted this. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And he humbled you and suffered you to hunger and fed you with manna, which you knew. Moses is talking about. He's recapping the things that took place in the wilderness to Israel, which you knew not, neither did your uh, fathers know, that you might, uh, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahuwah does man live. Yeshua is the word. Yeshua is going through the mouth of God and is the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 3. Is the mouth of God manifesting through God and we live on Yeshua. When Yeshua speaks, it's not a verb. We've talked about this. It's a noun, immediate action. So we are living on the creative nature, everything that Yah has spoken, that all things by him, for him, through him are held together, that's what we live on. He created the heavens and the earth. That's what we live on. He created us. That's what we live on. So it's a, it's a much deeper concept when we think about he gives us a new name it's not just now our character, 
it's tied to everything that he has spoken into existence. We live on it. Selah. I don't know how else to explain that. I, I'm, I'm wrestling with that. Literally, Yeshua, the word, is our name. When he gives you a new name, because it's by oath, he is the oath, he is the word, so therefore your new name is Yeshua. Whatever new name you receive, it is Yeshua, because we live on the word. This is another way of him being one with us. Brand new name. All right, let's keep going. Hope. 62.3. If you want to say la a little bit um, in your studies on the new name, there's a lot there. And I'm purposefully trying to speak some of the, the nature of the power of the new name, but you need to go seek that out. I, I don't know what my new name is. I've asked, and he said, no, 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 you, because you, you don't even understand the nature that I'm building in you. It, it's, you can't comprehend it, so you don't get the name yet. I asked about Zion's new name, and he gave me a, a character to it, and he said, it's this, but it's so much more. I'm just giving you a little piece. Because it's all new. It's a, it's a name that you can't find anywhere in the Hebrew or the Greek. It doesn't exist in the earth. Isaiah 62.3. You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of Yahuwah and a royal diadem in the hand of your Elohim. I'm going to read verse 4 as well because they both... Mm, no, we'll stay there. We'll stay there. Verse 3. Crown of glory, hope. Uh, Psalm 21. Candace, what psalm did you read? Thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Thank you. Psalm 21. I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 21, and uh, we'll start developing this crown of glory with what Isaiah is speaking about. Psalm 21, the king shall joy in your strength, O Yahuwah, and in your salvation, Yeshua, <laughs> how greatly shall he rejoice. You shall be, you shall give, uh, you have given him his heart's desire and has not withheld a holden the request of his lips. See, Yeshua and the king, we are kings, are so in sync that whatever we ask, he does. The answer is yes and amen. For you have prepared, the King James really messed up on this, prevent, it's actually prepared him with the blessings of goodness. You have set a crown of pure gold on his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him, even the length of days forever. 
His glory is great in your Yeshua, salvation. Honor and majesty have you laid upon him. I'll stop Stop right there. <clears throat> so you hear the, the, the language about the crown of, of honor, the crown of glory placed on his head, crown of gold, um, talking about his intimacy uh, with salvation, Yeshua. Uh, Psalm 8. You guys all know this. Psalm 8, verse 5. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Now, this is in reference, of course, to Psalm 8, verse 1. O Yahweh, our Adon, so Yeshua, how excellent is your name above all the earth. So you have made him a little lower when he came as a man, and then you have crowned him with glory and honor. Hmm. Now, but we just got, uh, we, we were just going through and saying Yeshua then burst through us, and yet Yeshua was made lower than the angels, and then is raised above them and crowned with glory. So wouldn't it make sense that we were made on earth lower than the angels, and then we get crowned with glory at some point in time also, right? Right? So Isaiah 28. Think about that. Isaiah 28. Um, the context is the last days here, uh, Isaiah 28, verse 5. In that day shall, shall Yahweh Sabot be for a crown of glory. Woe, Yahuwah is the crown of glory. And for a diadem of beauty unto the residue or the remnant of his people and for a spirit of judgment to him that sits in judgment and for strength to them that turn to the battle of the gate what is going on <laughs> back to isaiah 62 verse 3 what is going on with all of this? So Dan is doing a series on thrones. It could be that maybe one of the next series is on crowns because crowns are also tied uh, to this. Yeshua has us as a crown of glory. He places us on. Yeshua is a crown of glory. We place him on. What's happening? This is a setup for the king and the queen with matching crowns. Yeshua and his wife with matching crowns. 
uh, Stephen and I were talking about this a little bit uh, earlier this week. And I know that I, I place on multiple crowns. Um, that's what God has given me. So I place on multiple crowns. And I was digging into this a little bit, and I, I realized that um, the crown, the honor that we place on Yeshua, our minds are renewed with the mind of Yeshua. Then there's glory and crowns placed on us. But then he actually is so honored by us, he places us on as a crown. So Stephen had, uh, had this picture of he's bowing down before Yah, and he takes the crown off of his head and places it down. And then Yah gives him a bigger crown. And he places that down before Yah. And then Yahweh gives him a bigger crown. And this keeps going on and on and on and on and on. I had at the same, kind of the same, within the same time period um, this week, a vision of, I was just undone before him right at his feet. And I could feel Yeshua in me, rise me up, raise me up, stand me up. It was Yeshua's strength that did this. And he said, stand boldly before me. And I'm looking at him face to face. And he said, I allow you and I honor you to stand before me because your first reaction is to bow. And for those that's first reaction is to stand, they will bow. Because your first reaction is to bow, you will stand. And that's a crown of honor. So what was going on with Stephen is the more he became like Yeshua, the bigger the crown became on his head, on his head. And everything that was inhibiting him or slowing him down on his salvation journey that he laid down, he got more of Yeshua, more of Yeshua. Lay it down, more of Yeshua. The more you bow, the more you'll stand. The more you bow, the more you'll stand. It's the king and the queen becoming equally yoked, where the bride has made herself ready. So now she's worthy, not only to be his crown and royal diadem, that she is actually worthy to put him on as a crown and a royal diadem. It's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Matching crowns. Now, I will say this too. Not everybody in the body is the bride. And we know this from the wedding parable. This is for those that want to draw near. In God's mercy, those that don't want to draw near still can be justified, and begin the salvation journey. This isn't for everybody. I remember when we were um, first mess. Oh, this was during communion of the advance. And I was describing uh, the Hebraic wedding process. And toward the end, I described how the, the ten virgins had their candles lit. And five of them had their candles go out. They didn't have enough oil. And five of them still had them in the window burning. 
And it's Yeshua coming toward the, the end of the wedding process. And as he comes to the house, if the candles are lit, he continues to come and then he knocks on the door, Revelation 3.10. But if the candles are not lit, he actually turns around and leaves and they don't get wed. But those are still virgins. They are still expecting the bridegroom. They're still saved. They're still justified. They're just not the bride. And as I was saying this, I don't know, if, uh, for those of you that's advanced, I don't know if you guys caught this. I started to lean into that a little bit, and I felt Yeshua's heart break. And I, I, I could feel it quiver, and I'm like, Todd, stop. <laughs> um, uh, but that's what he feels about us in his desire to wear us and to be worn by him. So the crown of glory. Um, I'll share this. Um, Matthew 13. I'm going to take it a step. One more step further and then we'll jump to the next verse. Matthew 13. A lot of the parables, maybe all of them, I'm just generalizing, have many, many meanings. And we've talked about uh, parties, there's the, the plain text, the hint of the text, the, the allegory of the text, the, the mystery of the text. Always start with the literal text. So in Matthew 13, uh, verse, let's do what I'm looking for, verse 14. Single verse, Matthew 13, 40, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 44. Matthew 13, 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden a field in which a man has found he hides and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field two real obvious ways to look at this but they're not obvious to everybody especially now that we're looking in the context of wearing the crown of glory and him wearing us as the crown of glory Yeshua comes and buys the whole field. He buys the world. But he's really looking for the treasure, which is us. He sells all that he has. He gives his life. And he is the most joyful entity there is, Psalm 45. His joy exceeds all of us. And he buys the field that is us, the precious field. That makes sense. It's also the other way. We are searching all of the heavens and the earth. But when we really find him, he is the precious field that we buy. And we buy it with our lives as living sacrifices. Now we do that because he did it first. We love him because he loved us first. He bought us first so that we can buy him back. This goes back to Isaiah 55 where it says, I come buy milk and honey without money. I bought you so now you can buy me for nothing. But it costs you everything. 
It costs you your life. Who's willing to do that? That's to the extent of him giving us himself as a crown of glory, but then us giving everything we have to him as a crown of glory. And very few people walk in that place. That's his desire for us. So at the advance, we're singing a song, and this, this really, really spoke to me. I shared it with, with, with someone, but it really, really spoke to me. And this is what this is kind of summarizing in Matthew 30, 13, 44. The lyrics say, you are preeminent, O God. You are in first place. But Yeshua always does this to us. And he turns around and says to us, no, you are preeminent, my bride. You are in first place, my bride. We sing to him, no, you are preeminent. He comes back to us, no, you are preeminent. That's, that's the honor and the love that he's bestowing upon us. Therefore, the more that the earth opens up and receives righteousness, and goes through the process of salvation, the more righteousness is produced in the earth. Same concept. The more we receive righteousness of our God, the more we produce the salvation journey, we're on the salvation journey, and the more righteousness we produce for him. And we're becoming more like him. Um, Back to Isaiah 62. Verse 4, Isaiah 62, verse 4. Uh, good, we're cruising along here in time. We're getting there. Uh, you shall no more be termed forsaken, neither shall your land any more be termed desolate, but you shall be called Hezibah and your land Beulah, for Yahuwah delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, verse 5, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your Elohim rejoice over you. I remember the first time I, I heard this being taught years ago. Uh, there's so much uh, bridal language, of course, in there. And uh, we all know that, you know, she was going to come and marry his bride. And yet, then we start digging in a little bit more and there, there are already some entities married. Like we know now Zion is married to God. She's the married woman that's barren. We know that. Then we start digging in some more and we know that Judah is still married to God. Israel is divorced. So we start learning some more things like this. And and we're looking at this, and I think there's a lot more to it. So here we go. You will no more be called forsaken. This is what was spoken back in the beginning to Isaiah 49, verse 14, the beginning of our study in Isaiah 49, 14, where Zion is saying, Yahuwah has forsaken me. And my Adonai has forgotten me. My lover has forgotten me. Because Zion feels forsaken. 
we're going to explore that a little bit. And here in 62.4, Zion's saying, no, no, you're no longer to be, left, uh, be forsaken. First mention of forsaken, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. This is going to seem really odd, but you'll see the connection here. Genesis 2, 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore shall a man leave, but it's really the same word, forsake. Therefore shall a man forsake his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So we also know that this is also a type of Yeshua. Leaving the father, and cleaving to his people. Psalm 22. Yahuwah, Yahuwah, why have you forsaken me? For that is a great question. I am not going to address it today. <laughs> but that is a great question. Meditate on that, please. So Yeshua leaves, forsakes the Father to come to us. God is married, Yahuwah is married to Zion and forsakes Zion for the betterment of Zion for a period of time. That's what's being said. Now I'm going to jump back to that concept and let's go to the land piece and then we're going to tie the two together a little bit. Isaiah 62 again, verse 4. So now we got neither the land is called desolate. I know this seems really confusing, but again, we're talking about really big concepts and we'll tie this together. So the land is desolate. The earth is desolate. Here we go, heavens and earth again. Zion and heaven and the land and earth. Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26, starting in verse 27. So if you not, uh, Leviticus 26, 27. And if you will not walk in all this that you hearken to me, but walk contrary to me. Now listen to the curses that take place here if Israel did not walk with God. Verse 28. Then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. And you shall, ah, yeah, yeah, you shall eat the flesh of your sons. Yes, that is true. And the flesh of your daughters. And I, now here's all the language. And I will destroy your high places, your temples in the earth, your desolations, cut down your images, cast your carcasses upon the carcasses of your idols. My soul shall abhor you, Yahweh's soul, and I will make your cities waste. 
and I will bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors, and I will bring the land into desolation, and your enemies which dwell therein should be astonished at it. At what? At the land. I will scatter you amongst the nations and will draw out a sword after you, and your land shall be desolate, and your cities waste. Then the, shall the land enjoy her Sabbath as long as it lies desolate. And you in your enemy's land, and then the land shall rest and enjoy her Sabbath. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest because it did not rest in your Sabbath aye, when you dwelt in it. Interesting. God is so concerned about the earth and the land that he places man, his prized creation, his lover in charge of it, takes dominion. Man does not do a good job about taking care of the land. So therefore, he scatters man off of the land so that it's desolate, makes the land desolate so that no one wants to live there so that the land can have rest. Because it's better to be in a place of desolation and rest than it is to have God's people abhor the land and abuse it. I mean, if anybody's an environmentalist, here's the environmentalist piece. (laughs) You want to get into, then do this. And then that will turn them right back to the first thing they need to do is they need to keep the Sabbath and then have the land keep the Sabbath. So this is a really big linkage. Now back to Isaiah 62, in terms of the land being called desolate, this is why the land is desolate. And by the way, insight, the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to us is still desolate. It is not inhabited by Israel yet. The high places of God are torn down. No, no, no. I don't mean the shrines over there. The high places, the true Bethel, where Jacob rested his head in the portal of God, where he could see the angels go up and down on the ladder. It's desolate now. It's waiting. It's at rest. As they're creating all this chaos above it, the land's at rest waiting for us to get back. I'm going to build on this theme a little bit. It's another reason that the land, we'll call it Israel for the sake of just framework. Geographic Israel is so important to God is because he promised it to Zion. And that's why Zion feels forsaken. But God, you promised that I would be birthed onto the earth and the earth has forsaken me. That's what's happening here. That's why the land is desolate. He actually promised. Now, here's some entities. I'm going to play this out for you a little bit. 
Zion is married to God. Heaven is supposed to be married to earth. That's why the land is not yet married. Zion being in heaven is eventually going to be married to Zion on the earth. So the land will be called married. So therefore, Zion feels forsaken. Okay? That's kind of the big picture. Let's keep going a little bit more. <laughs> ah, he promised, this was a revelation to me, in the middle of the advance as I'm speaking <clears throat> about heaven and earth. He promised not only heaven and earth to be alignment, but heaven and earth to be married as a wedding gift to Zion. We, again, we put Yeshua on as a crown of glory. He puts us on as a crown of glory. We become one. So now Zion, who's us, we pray for righteousness to be rained down onto the earth from heaven so that the earth produces righteousness so that they are alike, just like the bride has made herself ready for the bridegroom. Earth has made herself ready through our prayers and our righteousness, made ready for the marriage to the heavens. The heavens and the earth get married. They're no more forsaken. They're married now, and that is a gift to Zion, the bride. It changes our perspective of the land in Canaan, and it changes our perspective of the earth. Let me say it a different way. The earth is your wedding gift. The land that is called Israel is your wedding gift, and squatters are in the land. Squatters are in the land. We need to produce righteousness so we can get rid of the squatters. See, the land was hijacked by the squatters that were placed by its bridegroom to its bride, the city of Babylon. Satan has hijacked the land for many reasons, one of which he's stealing the wedding gift. Different perspective. This ties together our assignments to come from the heavens, take on our assignment from Zion, be onto the earth to help Mary to produce our righteousness that we have in heaven, our righteousness onto the earth to unite the two. 
it's not just alignment. It's actually about marriage. <laughs> we didn't have any idea that we were in the middle of all this. This is the real big picture. We're talking about really, really big things. And yet, I, I'm I, I like how Patricia brought it back down, which goes hand in hand. And I said this in the vision. It's for those that bow. The paleo definition of righteousness is a humble man that bows before the door, Yeshua. The door crossing realms into the heavens. The door of revelation. The door of insight. So it's really big. But you, you only get access to these things because it's already there. But purposely, he holds back. I mean, can you imagine an unrighteous person now all of a sudden proclaiming the heavens and the earth and God would then moving in their words? That's what, that, that's what causes messes. She says, no, this is reserved for my righteous. Those that bow before me. Isaiah 62. A lot, lot more to be said on Isaiah 62, 4 and 5. You guys kind of meditate on that. I, I wanted to give the different approach of heaven and earth speaking and Zion through heaven and Jerusalem through earth. It gives us a different perspective of the earth, gives us a different perspective of Jerusalem. You should have a greater desire to pray for Jerusalem now. Again, don't think about how Satan has messed up Jerusalem. Think about how God desires Jerusalem as part of this connection. So much so in verse 6, Isaiah 62, verse 6. I have set watchmen upon your walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You that make mention of Yahuwah, keep not silent and give him no rest until he establish, until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So now with this understanding, for those of you that are called, again, we just do our assignment. Don't be burdened with not doing, with doing somebody else's assignment. If you're called on your assignment, to birth Zion into Jerusalem and to make this hap happen, he is going to place in you this desire to constantly go at him and giving him no rest. So now you are partnering as Zion for Zion to be married to the land. Not ceasing day or night, give him no rest. And he will establish it because it is going to come to pass. He spoke it as an oath. I want to keep rolling because there is something that I really, really want to get to. Oh, oh, you know what I, I do want to get to? Um, Proverbs chapter 30. This, th there's a, a passage in here that Proverbs is really interesting. We have not spent a lot of time in Proverbs because Proverbs it, it like talks in one, in one level, and that's the plain text. And then all of a sudden, it goes way, 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 way deep right into the mystery really fast. And therefore, it's really hard to get a hold of Proverbs in a lot of ways. But now that we just got this revelation in Isaiah 62, you're going to see something in Proverbs. Oh, 
Of course, it's right there. It's right in front of our eyes. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21. Remember, we read something from Leviticus that talked about the land needing rest from its abuse by its people. So God just wanted to hide it and protect it. Keep this in mind now, Proverbs 30, verse 21. For three things, the earth is disquieted. Means the earth is troubled. The earth is not content. The earth is alarmed. It is being misused. And for four, it cannot bear. It can handle three of them and be very uncomfortable. Four things all at once, it can't handle. Big jump. Back to the end of Malachi. God's last message to the prophet was, unless I send my messenger and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, unless unless this happens, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. This is where we're at with the earth right now. We are like three things and maybe a fourth thing. If the fourth thing happens, the earth can't bear it. That's the smiting of the earth. Look at the three things. Look at the four things I mean. Number one, for a servant when he reigns. We have a servant reigning. Oh, boy. Um, Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Who's going to serve who? Japheth is supposed to serve Shem and dwell in his tents. So Ham serves Shem. Japheth serves Shem. So what's happening? Japheth, oh, boy. The Ashkenazi runs coming from Japheth is the servant who is reigning in the earth, the kingdom of this world. Next one. And a fool, someone who is unrighteous, when he is filled with meat, means he has all the goods. He's controlling the currency system. He's controlling the system of exchange. He's filled with it. He has way more than they can handle. That's two. Three. King James, I don't know where they come up with this. For an odious woman. No, no, no. It's actually a hateful bride that becomes married. This has nothing to do with us as the bride because we're a bride in love. But Satan's bride is filled with hate. The city of Babylon is filled with hate. The harlot is filled with hate. That's what odious really means. And she has been married to her husband. This is in the earth. It's all talking about the earth. It's very strange language, right? But these are actions that take place on the earth, in the earth, that make the earth unbearable and unable 
to serve its purposes. Now, this is Proverbs chapter 30, now verse 23. So that was number three, now the fourth one. And a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. Immediately, this you should jump all the way back to Sarah. Sarah was given the promise to have Isaac. She gave the earth in Proverbs here to Hagar. Hagar has become the heir of the mistress on the earth. Ishmael tied to Edom, tied to Canaan. So now we have the picture of what's going on in the earth right now that's making the earth to the point where it almost can't handle it anymore. So we need to come along and pour down righteousness as due from the heavens, bring the earth, open it up, bring it into salvation, and bring forth righteousness into the earth. Because Proverbs is what is explaining today the earth. What insight from Proverbs. Amazing. Back to Isaiah 62. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. time. Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up. Ah, so good, too. I'm going to reference um, 8 and 9 real quick. Uh, Isaiah 62, verses 8 and 9. So Yahuwah has sworn by his right hand, again, Yeshua, and by the arm of his strength, again, Yeshua, surely I will no more give your corn to be meat for your enemies. Think about what Proverbs we just read. This is what's happening, right? Meat for the enemies. We do the planting, they take the meat, and they're filled with it. I will no, long, uh, no more give your corn to be meat for your enemies, and the sons of the stranger shall not drink your wine for that which you have labored. But they that have gathered it shall eat it and praise Yahuwah. And they that have brought it together shall drink in the courts of my holiness. Now, we did study in, in uh, Joel to, to understand that cor- how corn and wine are described in the scriptures. Corn is for the body. It's part of the health of the body. Wine is for the rejoicing um, and the goodness of the soul. When we were at the advance at the very last worship time, uh, I saw wine being poured down from the heavens to refresh our souls. And literally, I could taste it on my lips. Because it's part of the wine coming down for the goodness of our souls. So corn and wine, that's, this is the reference. It's our bodies and that's our souls in this passage. And what has happened is the enemy has taken the things that we have sown, and then some of that has come forth as fruit and has taken that fruit. And we have not eaten all of our fruit. How so? We keep planting, planting righteousness. We are doing righteous things. We're not reaping the same equivalent of what we're sowing even today. 
Now the church, the organized church will say, ah, don't worry, just keep doing what's right. And at some point in time in the afterlife, you're going to reap all the blessings of heaven. No, God is saying you should be reaping now in the earth what you are sowing in righteousness to the heaven, what you're sowing in righteousness to the earth. But the enemy is stealing it. And when this happens, because it is going to happen for Zion's sake, he's not going, he's going to make it happen. We actually will be astonished at how much sowing into the earth realm we have done when we finally are able to receive the reaping that is actually ours. Think about it this way. They're stealing taxes from us. And that's just an obvious example. They're stealing our time. They're stealing our health from us. It's not just survivors. They're stealing, they're stealing from everyone. They're taking our corn. They're taking our wine. How are they taking our, They're taking our peace. All of this is taking, taking, taking what we are sowing because they can't produce any good fruits. Only we, God's children, can produce the fruit because we're sowing the word, we're sowing the word, but we're not reaping that. That is what he's speaking here is in this time, in this day, when we start really connecting heaven and earth and understanding this concept, when we really start bringing forth righteousness in our own lives, to the point where Yeshua bursts through us, we're actually going to be astonished at how much reaping we'll have. Wine for the soul. They don't reap love, joy. These are all things they're taking from us. We're actually sowing this. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. These are all the fruits of the Spirit. Who's sowing those? We're sowing that stuff because it's the Spirit sowing it through us, and yet they're taking it from us. So start praying for your stuff not to be taken, your corn not to be taken, your wine not to be taken. More, more prayer points as we start becoming more and more strategic. Back to the parable of the sower, the words being sown. Part of our understanding of this will help us reap the 30, 60, and 100-fold crops. I'm not going to get to it today, but there's a passage in Genesis uh, 26 between Isaac and Abimelech. And Isaac, the child of promise, reaps a hundredfold. There's a lot of lessons to be learned in that, in that passage. Isaac, the child of promise, who is the, a type of the Messiah. So if the Messiah comes through us in righteousness, we will reap a hundredfold. 
in my life, I'm not even reaping 30 fold right now because I know the enemy is taking a lot more than what I'm sowing. So just a thought. I want to keep going. Um, <laughs> something I want to mention real quick. For those of you that are interested in verse 9, and they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Um, go explore the courts of holiness. For those of you that want to. I'm not going to get into that, but there's some, uh, some really neat stuff in there. Okay, I want to finish up with these last three verses. <clears throat> I want to finish up with these last three verses. Verse 10, 11, and 12 out of Isaiah 62. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Notice how he repeats himself. Go, go. Cast up, cast up. Cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. These don't sound like good stones, by the way. Lift up a standard or a banner for the people. Behold, Yahuwah has proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say you to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation, Yeshua, comes. Behold, his reward, so his is salvation, Yeshua. His reward is with him. Means all the corn and the wine and everything else. And his recompense before him. Means judgment. And they shall call them the holy people the redeemed of Yahuwah. And you shall be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. Verse 12, I think, is one of the biggest verses in Scripture. It is saying so much. We are the holy people, it's repeated throughout scripture, a kingdom of priests, a holy people. This is the production of the end of our righteousness being made manifest. The end of our salvation. It is, when I say the end, I mean the maturity, the completeness. Be holy as I am holy. It's the redeemed of Yahuwah that the whole earth, acknowledges the redeemed of Yahweh. That's why creation is groaning, groaning for the redeemed to come forth. And simultaneously, the holy people, the redeemed, have manifested collectively as Zion the city that was not forsaken but has birthed actually, into Jerusalem. Let's back up a little bit and hit a couple of things. I'm going to go a little bit longer, but just hit a couple of things on this. So back to prepare the way, prepare the way. This has also multiple meanings, prepare the way. First of all, city of refuge. You guys have heard this from my lips before. 
a city of refuge was placed um, on top of a hill where people that had committed uh, involuntary murder could run to. People that have committed a crime that was punishable by the, the, uh, the families that the crime was committed of, they could run to and find a place of refuge. There would be food and shelter and they would be judged and say, yep, that wasn't intentional. You could stay here. Well, the city on the hill always had roads that were perfectly straight. They weren't curved. So according to history, they were perfectly straight roads. The reason that they were perfectly straight is because they were being chased and they had to get there as fast as possible. It was also prophetically saying that the straight path, the narrow path to life and safety is a straight path. It's not a crooked path. So that's one kind of reference to prepare the way as the city of refuge. Spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah, double portion that's being sent. Preparing the way of the priests to prepare for the coming of our Yeshua. But there's something else here that I want to share with you that maybe you haven't heard before. Genesis 3. Aha! Genesis 3. Verse 24. Layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. Genesis 3.24. So he drove out man from the Garden of Eden and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard, keep, or it really means guard, protect, the way of the tree of life. Part of what we are called to do when we are raising up priests, righteous priests, holy people, is to prepare the way to get back to the garden and the tree of life. It's reversing the initial protection of it because mankind got kicked out of the garden. So now the cherubim are protecting the way to the tree of life. We are called to bring people back to the door, back to the way, which is Yeshua, which is the tree of life. So he's also declaring go back to the tree. Go back to the tree. Prepare the tree. That's why the Spirit says, go through, go through the gates. Same thing. Cast up, cast up the highway. This is a higher gate and a higher highway that you might be thinking. It's the tree of life, and that's why he says it twice. So back to the tree of life. The other thing that I've been seeing a lot of in the spirit is people build up walls. And we get this from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, where everything, every high thing that exalts itself 
um, uh, against uh, Yeshua. Um, we're supposed to cast down imaginations, vain imaginations. These all become lies. They're all lies, and they've built up as walls that we can't receive him. But then there's also the enemy just places stones right in front of us. Boom. Stone. Boom. A boulder. And we are to see in the spirit what those stumbling blocks are and remove them for people. We're supposed to speak so that they can into them, that they can see with their eyes and they can hear with their ears the stumbling blocks are in place in people. I think we're seeing combinations of walls and stumbling blocks all over the world right now being revealed. And out of compassion, we need to work with the Holy Spirit to bring down the walls that people have built up in their own hearts, but also remove the blocks, the stones that have been placed in their way. Because remember, the, the path is supposed to be straight. So if you put a stone in the path, now you have to kind of go around the edge and maybe you fall in the ditch. Maybe you twist your ankle. Maybe you step in some sludge and get slimed, right? We need to remove those stumbling blocks. So I want to share that because I'm seeing that a lot in the spirit as I'm praying for folks, uh, especially lately, a lot of that. Uh, so I want to share that. Now, let's get back to verse 12 and really hammer on this a little bit more. Psalm 9. I love this verse, Isaiah 62, 12. Psalm 9. We're going to dive in a little bit. Psalm 9. Well, it's really taking me a long time to get to Psalm 9 with my fingers. Psalm 9. Let's start in verse 9. We could read the whole thing. It all makes sense, but let's start with verse 9. Psalm 9, verse 9. Yahuwah also will be a refuge for the oppressed. A refuge in times of trouble. Remember, prepare the way, prepare the way, prepare the way. Prepare the way of the city of refuge. And they that know your name will put their trust in you. For you, Yahuwah, have not forsaken them that seek you. Now, he's the tree of life. So here we go back to forsaken Zion. Forsaken those that are trying to find him. For those that are seeking him and know his name. He's saying, come closer. Actually, you can enter into the Garden of Eden and eat of the Tree of Life. Sing praises to Yahuwah, which dwells in Zion. Declare amongst the people his doings, his marvelous work. For the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. So when you testify to the world the goodness and the good works of Yahuwah, you are speaking the spirit of prophecy. And the word goes forth. In Zion, even that act starts to manifest 
more righteousness into the earth. So the forsaken peace, the righteousness, the Zion ties to Psalm 9. David's seen this. So this is the concept I want to close with. Isaiah 62, 12. Why, oh God, did we have to go through this to get to verse 12? Why did we have to go through living in the kingdom of the world amongst the unrighteous to get to verse 12? Why do we have to suffer to get to verse 12? Why is it taking so long to get to verse 12? Because to me, looking at scripture, this is a great summary of like our, our end goal to get all things together to then move on to the rest of eternity. Why, why, do we, why does it take so long? Why do we have to get, go through so many things to get to 12? Why can't it just be? And I was praying about this, and I know a lot of people um, you know, have thought this. Uh, a lot of people um, try to write books about you know, why is there evil in the world and those things. And part of it for survivors, I love how Dan talked about the last advance, Psalm 110. It's to produce a holy tribe, a holy bride that's worthy of the bridegroom. Okay, that's an obvious statement, Todd. A little bit more. It's a gemstone that needs to be chiseled and cut and can endure the cutting and the chiseling. It's gold that can endure the refiner's fire. It's trees that can endure pruning and like harsh weather. See, to the angels, he showed his power, his glory, his honor, his majesty. But to us, he's revealing more of his character that he cannot do to the angels. He shows us the extent of his love to the unloved even to the point of self-loathing. Because we have the experience of feeling unloved, we actually can experience more of his love. We can experience that attribute in his character of love. The angels see the glory and the honor and the power and the majesty. We get to see the greater character natures, his love. We get to see his patience because we're stubborn and we were lost. We know how patient he was. I know how patient he is with me because I keep seeing my stubbornness and I keep seeing how I missed the mark. His hand could not bring to us that kind of harshness. That his hand could not bring death to us because in him is life. 
And in order to reveal his character across a timeline to us, reveal his character, we had to experience some things that even the angels haven't experienced. It ties all back to we were made lower than the angels, but then we are given a crown of glory. He shows us compassion because we mourn. He shows us forgiveness because we were astray. He can reveal to us kindness because we have suffered. These are aspects of his character that other parts of creation can't experience. And that's why it takes so long because that's how high he's going to crown us. That's how high he's going to elevate us. Because we're going to experience the most character traits to, than any part of creation. That's why we were made lower than the angels in this earth realm. Because now we understand his kindness. We understand his forgiveness. We can understand his love. We can understand his compassion. We can understand his patience. So as I was meditating on this, it's like, why? He said, you wouldn't. You, you wouldn't be the holy people that you're going to become because you wouldn't have these attributes and you wouldn't experience these attributes from me. This is what Satan was lacking. He saw God's power. He saw his majesty. He didn't understand forgiveness. He did not understand compassion. He did not understand kindness because there's no need to be kind. In that setting. But when someone is suffering, you now can be kind and you can experience kindness and a flow of kindness coming from you. These are all the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. The angels don't experience that kind of stuff. Yes, there's angels that minister these things, but deep inside of them, they haven't gone through what we've gone through with all of that stuff. Some of them experience battle and they get wounded and then they, they need the restoration. They experience that. So Yeshua had to go as low as possible and die and low as possible was us so that he can expose all of his nature to us. And that's why it takes so long to get to the place where we're, where we're called the holy people the redeemed of Yahuwah. And Zion, you will be called sought out and a city not forsaken. I'll pray this over you guys. <clears throat> so let's pray. And I feel led to pray some scripture. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for being in the midst. 
you are wonderful, you are a counselor, you are the mighty El, our heavenly Father, the Prince of Peace. We do not have enough words or breath in our lungs to express who you are. And we are ever so grateful to have the privilege to come before you and the privilege to be raised up to be seated with you. May our attitude always be of love toward you because you first loved us. May our attitude always start with the fear of Yahuwah and bowing down before you. So that we would produce righteousness in this earth and bring it into alignment with heaven. Father, thank you for continuing to give us revelation and fresh manna from heaven. We will continue to seek that which you have hidden, the hidden manna of heaven. For we want to know all about you. We want to know what your, your heart is feeling. We want to know what your mind is thinking. We want to hear what you're saying and what you're hearing. We want to, we want to smell what you are smelling. Both of righteousness in the heaven and also the filth on the earth so that we would have compassion and patience for the lost. So I declare over everyone here and everyone in bride and everyone's family that you will give us rain in due season and our land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And our threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And we will eat our bread to the full and dwell in our land safely. And you will give us peace in the land. And we shall lie down, and no one will make us afraid. You will get rid of all the evil beasts out of the land. And the sword shall not go through this land. We will chase your enemies and they shall fall before us. Five of us shall put together, put, we shall chase a hundred. A hundred of us shall put 10,000 to flight. And our enemies shall fall before us by the sword. For you, almighty king, will have respect to us. And you will make us fruitful and multiply us. And establish your covenant with us. And you will set your tabernacle amongst us. And your soul will love us. And you will walk amongst us. And you will be our Elohim. And we will be your people. May your word go forth into the earth, into our hearts. 
May it be received with opening and gladness. May salvation spring forth and righteousness burst into the earth. In Yeshua's name, amen. You've just listened to Todd Talks here at Bride Ministries International. Be sure to visit our website at bridemovement.com. You can support us by leaving a donation. You can also check out our other offerings, such as our church. You can check out our institute. We offer prayer resources and, of course, so much more.